Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. This intro is not a normal intro. I am talking to you on Thursday night, as always, in my typical fashion, I've procrastinated my intro until the night before, but that's not what's important here. Yesterday, Wednesday, December 16th, at exactly 4 p.m. PST, I found out that I got into my number one dream, all-time, long-shot, reach, college, school. (laughs) So... I have told you guys from day one that I was going to bring you along with me for this college process. I think I even did an Instagram story when I submitted this college application. And my parents were like, Sadie, you can't do that because then other schools that you're applying to are going to be like, okay, she's early decisioning to this other school. It was just, I, that was a bad idea. I learned. (laughs) This school. I feel like I've answered this so many times in the past 24 hours and every single time I say it, it just rings truer and truer. University of Pennsylvania. For those of you that aren't familiar, right in the heart of Philadelphia, big-er college as they go, co-ed, phenomenal psychology and research program. And what makes it super unique is the research opportunities available to undergraduate students. And that was what sold me 1,010 billion percent was the idea of being able to really make a change in the mental health field starting in college as soon as possible. So, I submitted my application back in November, November 1st. You know I submitted it the night of. Stayed editing, making little tweaks, got tons of feedback, and I wrote about my mental health. And I wrote about this very podcast that I'm talking to you on right now. I'm going to do a whole episode dedicated to this. I feel such a need to do an intro and tell you guys about this right now, but I promise you I will dedicate an entire episode to the college admissions process, the mental health behind that. I've already talked to one of my best friends about this episode and what we're going to dive into, dealing with different responses from colleges, the impact it can have on your self-esteem when you are seeing an acceptance as a response of your worthiness or accomplishments. So full episode coming. However, getting into this, I submitted my application back in November submitted a couple other ones for early action. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the college applications process, when you apply early decision somewhere, you're telling this college, this is my number one dream school. If you let me in, I'm going to go there. You sign this little contract and everything. And I signed the contract. My parents signed the contract. I applied and I got in. I got in. And the second I found out, I... I'm realizing now I just tried not to think about it that whole day. I literally took a nap so that the hours would go by faster. I didn't have to think about it. I was so stressed and so overwhelmed. And I'm realizing how strongly I didn't think I was going to get in. I didn't know if I was going to get deferred or rejected or what it was. But when I saw that freaking confetti and I saw that pen class of 2025, I literally started screaming and sobbing and my whole family was around me and everyone was screaming and excited and dancing and it was one of the craziest moments of my entire life and it doesn't feel real like I feel like I'm gonna wake up and be like okay back to the college application process back to this whole thing like 
I I was thinking about the whole application that I'd submitted. And I mentioned I talked about my mental health in the application. I talked about how much I struggled my freshman year. And I I will put the full college essay on my website if you want to go see that on, on the blog section. And I talked about how much I struggled my freshman year and how I turned that around. I talked about starting this podcast because I wanted people that had felt the way I felt to know that they're not alone and they don't have to feel that way. And how many of you I've been able to talk to every single week. And there was two different wavelengths of thought I had when I was thinking about this application. And one was that this story is so crazy and so bizarre and so out there and so unique that a college that looks at it is either going to be like, this is great. This is what we're looking for. This is the grit and the resilience and the perseverance and the the chutzpah. They're going to be like, what the heck is this girl giving us? Like, I was submitting a year and a half of grades. I attended three different high schools. I had a history of mental health problems. And yet I had this, this passion for psychology and this passion for helping pe- other people and this amazing grit in my own personal life and my passions. So it was just crazy enough that I think they liked it. And the other, the other train of thought I had when I was going into finding out about this, I have noticed recently that I spend a lot more time with my headspace in the present. And I don't know if it's that I'm blocking out all my other worries and that I'm just ignoring everything or if I'm truly living in the present. Because even last year feels like an eternity ago. The idea that I was in intensive treatment and struggling so severely just three or four years ago seems like a lifetime ago. And I forget about that. I forget that that was my journey and my life and that I did that. I turned that around and I've done something with that pain and that suffering and turned it into a passion and a purpose. But with that out of the way, I had to start this episode with that exciting news and let you guys know I'm a Quaker. Pen 2025. It's happening. Full episode on college admissions coming soon. However, this phenomenal, amazing episode is with the wonderful Amanda. I found her on Instagram, I think close to a year ago now at this point. She is a blogger based in Colorado. She also has a podcast called Just Man's The Podcast, which I was actually on this last Monday. So you can listen to that. The link will be in the show notes. And her content, her platform is all about womanhood, wellness, and storytelling. We have such a good conversation. We dive into journaling and getting out of your own head and what brought her to blogging. We talk about her experience having a surprise pregnancy at 22, navigating that on social media and experiencing that feedback loop. We talk about breaking into the blogging world, her favorite bloggers, social media and mental health, anything you can imagine relating to blogging, social media, pregnancy, we dive into it. This is a phenomenal episode. If you guys want to hear more from Amanda, you can find her at, on Instagram at, at JustMans or at JustMansPod. You can also find her on her website, JustMans.com, and listen to her podcast on all platforms. So, without further ado, let's get into this phenomenal interview, which truly speaks for itself. So, hey, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me on She Persisted. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about you and what you got got you into the blogging social media world? 
Yeah, so I am originally from Orlando, Florida, and I started my blog in 2015, and it started off just being a fashion blog, and then I realized I wasn't into fashion as much as I thought I was. Like, I loved fashion, and I had great style, not to like toot my own horn, but but it just wasn't something that I really felt passionate about posting blog posts about. So then it evolved from 2015 to now, and it's become more womanhood, wellness, self-growth, but it really just started out being a place where I could just dump my thoughts because I definitely experienced a lot of anxiety in high school and I started journaling and that really, really helped me get my thoughts out. And I felt like, you know what? I've always been someone who likes to share. So I was like, why don't I just put like my personal diaries on the internet, which sounds (laughs) so crazy for some people, but it was just like my personality and it just really became the most important thing to me is my blog and sharing with other people. And that's just how I got started. And fun fact, my boyfriend now actually came up with the name Just Mans. It was originally Amanda DeMarco. And he was like, no, 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 you need something better. So he came up with Just Mans and it stuck. (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So diving into the journaling, I love to get super specific about what people, tips and tricks people use for mental health. So when you're journaling, do you just kind of like open a journal and just write whatever's in your head? Do you use prompts? Do you do like a timer kind of thing? What do you do? I have found if I try to force it, it isn't going to work because a lot of the times when I journal, because I know some people have like, I wake up every morning and I journal, it's part of my morning routine. I wish I was that person. But for me, it's more like I have so many thoughts and ideas and just junk in my head that I, if I don't get out on paper, I'm going to explode. So for mm-hmm. me, it's more just open up a journal and just let the words flow. And sometimes I'll be going on a walk and I'll be thinking about a lot of things and I'll have kind of a theme or a general topic of what I want to write about. Say it's like, okay, I'm really you know, inspired to dive into more self-growth or really journal and talk about self-growth. So then I'll open up my journal when I get home and just jot down things about self-growth. But normally it's just like a word vomit dump. Sometimes like I think about if some people would read my journal, they'd probably be like, what is she saying? Like, I don't (laughs) even comprehend, but I promise I'm, you know, understanding it in my own head. But yeah, it's mostly just word vomit. Mm Mm-hmm. Love it. I try to get into journaling. I do the five minute journals, what I'm currently doing. And for so long, I was just like terrified of like people finding a journal. Like I'm not writing anything crazy in there. I'm like, my goals for today is to drink my coffee and play with my dog. Like it's nothing like (laughs) deep, but I'm like, someone could find it and just like have access to that. And I just like was like, so that was like kind of crazy for me. So I do a bullet journal and I love that because I can like do the planner side of it. And then so this is totally a little tangent. And then I do like the habit trackers kind of stuff, oh. but I'll do that for mental health. So maybe it's like a morning routine or getting to bed at a certain time or different behaviors that will pop up. And I find that's like helpful because it's more visual and it doesn't feel like as vulnerable and authentic if someone were to find it, even though no one's like looking for it, but it's still able to get things out on paper and express that. So yeah, that's kind of what I've done. Totally. I tried a bullet journal in the past And I just kind of fell off track with it because, again, I felt like for me it was a little bit more forced. But Mm -hmm. like you were saying, you're scared of someone finding it. But I think for anyone listening, like you have to kind of tell yourself this is not for anybody. This journal is solely for your eyes and for yourself. And that's what's so great about it is like you can be vulnerable and you can just – 
get your thoughts down. Because then if you really wanted to, if you were terrified, you could go lock it away in a safe or you could go lock it away Mm -hmm. in your underwear drawer. You know, like yeah, someone listening should just really, I want to hammer that home that like, it's for your eyes only. Like someone might, might Mm -hmm. find it, but again, maybe they won't even understand it because it's just your own mind word vomiting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened to Dak Shepard's podcast, but I listened to his, I don't listen to his regularly, but his like day seven sobriety journey thing that he did recently. I listened to that. It was a phenomenal episode and he sat down with his co-host and he kind of just walked through how he had relapsed. And he talked about how like the, the foundation of his sobriety was this journal that he kept and he was completely authentic and transparent with his thoughts and urges or whatever came up, he would put it on the page. And he noticed that as soon as he started to not be as truthful or as transparent when he was doing this journaling practice and he started kind of lying to himself with this journal, that's when things kind of like took a downward turn. And so I just thought that was so interesting because he was like hiding this secret of like not really secret but like quote-unquote secret of relapsing from even himself with like not mentioning it in this place where he used to be so authentic and open and vulnerable and it's just really interesting but yeah and the thing is Um, if you put your own thoughts down and on paper and you see it in in a actual visual form Someone else reading it might think it's truthful, but yeah, you're right. You cannot lie to yourself and you're going to call yourself out on that lie real quick. Totally. And I think another thing about journaling or even just writing or expression, whatever it is, is as soon as you put it, write it down or express it, it kind of becomes real. And so it's not just back in your head anymore. It's not like a maybe I don't know what's going to happen, but it's suddenly like solidified and it's out there in the world. And so it totally brings me back to when I was first struggling with depression and anxiety and that first time when I was like, I, I don't know how to handle this and I need help and I need support and it's it's real. And so the first time I asked for help or the first time I like really acknowledged that I wasn't okay and told my parents or told my doctor, whoever it was, like that meant it was out there in the world and it was real. And there was totally that fear before then of just avoiding that acceptance. But with smaller things, totally a great way to express that and kind of get it out there. This week's episode is sponsored by Teen Counseling. I cannot tell you guys how many DMs, texts, emails I get from teens, parents, even friends asking, how can I find a therapist? How can I enroll in therapy? How can I find a therapist for my teen? How do I tell my parents I want to go to therapy? That's why I'm partnering with Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is an online therapy program with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more, and it's all targeted at teens. They offer text, talk, and video counseling. So no matter what level of support you're looking for, they got you. You're going to go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. You'll fill out a quick survey about what your goals are for therapy, whether that's improving your mental health during the pandemic, working on your relationship with your parents, improving self-esteem, whatever it is, they'll match you with therapists that fit your needs. You'll enter your information and your parents' information. Your parents will get a super discreet email saying your child's interested in working with a licensed therapist at teencounseling.com. They head to the website, learn a little bit more about the program, and a preview to work with a therapist. And from there, you can meet that therapist on a frequency that works for you. This is a great way to dip your toe into the therapy world and get support when you need it without having to go into an office, meet with a therapist, meet with a stranger, and go through all of that for the first time. So you can go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. Again, that's teencounseling.com slash she persisted to get started today. 
So I wanted to dive into mental health and social media. And this is like one of the biggest topics that everyone is talking about. Everyone has an opinion on it. But having been on social media for a long time and having insight into that world, I kind of wanted to ask you, what are your experiences with navigating mental health and social media? And then your tips for anyone that's kind of diving into that world. I honestly have not struggled with social media being harmful to my mental health in a severe way because I feel like once I I'm pretty good at recognizing when it's starting to and then once it does I nip it in the butt real quick so for example Mm -hmm. last January oh my gosh this year has felt so long I was like was this this year (laughs) yes (laughs) this year in January it was funny actually because I got pregnant well I found out I was pregnant like a month later and people thought like I was totally Mm -hmm. off of social media because I was pregnant but no I got Mm -hmm. off of social media for a month regardless of the pregnancy. And it was because I was noticing that every single time I was on social media, and this is, this is something that's, you know, comes with the territory of working as a blogger and an influencer is social media, social media being your job. And so I was noticing that every single time I was on social media, I was thinking about, okay, what blog post can I write to post out on social media? Or what caption do I need to be doing? What content do I need to be creating? And that's draining. You know, when, when someone works they usually have, whether it's nine to five, 10 to six, whatever, they have some kind of schedule of this is when I'm working. This is when I'm working. This is when I'm not. And in social media, that those lines are blurred. So for me, I would be laying in bed at 9.30 PM and I would scroll past somebody else's post that inspired me. And I would be like, oh, I need to go write. When like, no, what you need to do is you need to go to bed. And then you can wake up and write. But I was noticing back in January that that was really affecting my mental health because I was constantly scrolling and constantly trying to think of new ways that I could contribute to my business in some side, some sort of way, which is good and bad. I just think that it's exhausting. And so for me, I was noticing that I was getting really anxious about social media and my blog and my brand. And so what I did was I took a complete step back and kind of went cold turkey with it and was like, I'm not going on social media for a month. I kept my blog posts going because again, I, if I don't get those thoughts out or those words yeah. out, I'm going to explode. So I kept my blog going, but I was off of Instagram, off of YouTube and TikTok, even though I wasn't even on TikTok then and Twitter, everything. And I would say for someone listening, if you know they don't want to go the complete cold turkey route, if, if social media is overwhelming them or making them anxious, I would say maybe restricting your time on social media. I've tried the, you know, setting a screen time limit for the app and that just doesn't work for me because it is my business. So I need to be on it a little bit longer than the average person. But I would say, you know, maybe limit yourself to an hour of social media consumption a day and see where that takes you and then reevaluate. But I think it's super individual to the person. I just, I truly do think that social media can harm people's mental health because I don't really think we're meant to be consuming this much content. And I don't think we're meant to be thinking this much, honestly, constantly, mm-hmm. you know, like you, it's, you can't, you don't really turn it off if you're on social media a lot. So yeah. I would say for the average person to just try and limit your, your consumption and see where that takes you. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I have heard a lot about social media affecting people's mental health, especially relating to like body image in a really negative way. And I think for me, like I've always loved photography. I've always loved like visual art and creativity in that sense. And so having that like curated moment, whether it's like stories or photos or the podcast Instagram, 
Like I just get so inspired and love doing that for myself. And so I feel lucky in that sense because it's not like I feel like I'm putting things out for other people or I need this feed to look this certain way or these photos to be at this standard. It's like I just really enjoy doing it. And so I think it's I totally relate to you as far as creating the separation between like work and personal consumption, because I noticed with the podcast is that at first I totally just started it as a hobby and I would talk into the microphone. No one would listen. I would do it for myself. And then it became something that was very time consuming, whether it was editing episodes, promoting all of that kind of stuff. It did become a job and not definitely doesn't make any money like this is not a, a real job, but it no, it's a it's real work. job. And it, Don't discredit yourself. Yeah. It's a real job. You put time and effort into it. <laughs> Exactly. So it takes it's it's it takes a significant amount of time. It takes a significant amount of effort, and it started being something that I was putting energy towards, and I still loved it. I still enjoyed it, but it wasn't something where I went and I was like refueling myself from doing this thing. And so creating that separation of okay, I can no longer count this content creation or podcasting as something that I can do in a free time as a hobby, as self care, as something that is outloading my energy. And so I need to create more space for myself to kind of refuel and make sure I'm still motivated to do other things. I love that. And also too, what I was going to say is that I feel like when, you know, your, your job is social media, part of your research, at least for me, when I do research about podcast guests, so I'll be on my Google Docs, I'll put my phone away and I'm like, I'm not going on social media because social media gets distracting, whether it's your job or Mm -hmm. not. You end up in a rabbit hole, whether you were like, sometimes I go on social media on Instagram and I'm like, what was I doing again on here? Totally. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to post a story. And then I end up on my feed and I'm like, turn it off. And I was like, wait, no, I was doing something. I have to go. It's a mess. Exactly. But what I was saying is, so I'll be on my Google Docs and I'll be, you know, just kind of brainstorming for the podcast content and who I want to interview and whatever. And so when I go to actually research guests, I go to Instagram, which is, again, so... It's like every all my time is being put on Instagram. So I love that you said that you have to create space elsewhere out of social media, especially if it's your job, mm-hmm. because it's it's so true. Even if, you know, because for me, putting my phone away is hard because if I am not, you know, working or doing social media, I want to listen to a podcast or I want to call a friend. So like I mm-hmm. have my phone with me a lot, but I think it's about maybe changing your environment too, like getting outside and and you know, taking away the familiar environment of your home where you usually scroll on social media and getting outside and maybe you won't scroll as much. Mm-hmm. No, I, I love that. I totally agree. I It's definitely now we're at home so much that it's like everything kind of blends together. But I think about like if I were to like if I'm going on a walk or if I'm going down to like get breakfast or something, like I'm not engaging with social media in the same way. Maybe I'll like take a picture of a coffee I'm drinking or something like that, but it's not just that mindless scrolling and consumption because there's nothing else to do. So I want to dive into pregnancy and kind of talk about that from a mental health lens. What was your experience just kind of diving into that? I love the topic of pregnancy and thank you for asking this question because I feel like at 22 years old, nobody really wants to talk about having a baby (laughs) because everyone's (laughs) like, I don't want a baby. But so my pregnancy was unplanned and my boyfriend and I have been together since we were 16 years old. We broke up for a year and then got back together and had an unexpected pregnancy a year after we got back. What was that like from a mental health perspective, (sighs) getting that surprise in a sense, I guess you could call it. So I feel really lucky and blessed that it was with the person that I wanted to start a family with 
regardless. So whether it was now or in Mm -hmm. five years, Lucas was the person, my boyfriend, who I wanted to start a family with and have a baby with. So I have to just kind of put that disclaimer out there because it wasn't, it wasn't as, you know, shocking as the Mm -hmm. average person who has an unplanned pregnancy. But I was very, I remember looking in the mirror when I took the pregnancy test and I was like, this is not real. This is not real. It was a lot of denial in the beginning. And then I took three more pregnancy tests and I was like, okay, it's not, you know, there's no denial (laughs) happening here. Like it's real. And then it was a lot of anxiety, anxiety about what I'm gonna, what am I gonna do? Because I was in college still, so mm-hmm. I hadn't graduated. I was being supported by my family or my parents still. I didn't have a job, I didn't have a degree yet, and my boyfriend and I were both in separate states. He went to school in Florida, and I went to school in Colorado. So, oh my god, it was tough. And I remember the first night we stayed on Facetime together for six hours straight because I was just like don't leave me. I don't want to go to sleep. So it was a lot of anxiety. And on top of the anxiety of finding out that I'm pregnant, there's the anxiety of, of realizing you're pregnant and realizing that stress and anxiety is bad for the baby. So you're like, (laughs) you're just one big like stress ball, regardless of which way you look at it. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the beginning was shock, anxiety, worry, stress, you know, shock and and worry about how my family's going to react and how my friends are going to react. And you know, I feel really lucky that I have gotten to a place now where I don't care too much about what other people think about me. So it wasn't necessarily that I was thinking about the the society on a greater scale and how they looked at me. It was more my my loved ones, my close family and friends. So I was mm-hmm. so scared about what, what my dad was going to say, what my mom was going to say, because I actually had a conversation with my mom and my dad like a couple months before being like, I really want a baby. Like I want a baby. And I was just having like massive baby fever and I have no idea why. Now, I mean, I feel like <laughs> it really was the universe was like, okay, you're, you're supposed to have a baby. But my parents mm-hmm. were like, no way. You can't have a baby. You don't have a job. You can't support yourself. I was like, I'll figure that out. But I mean, I <laughs> promise it was unplanned, but yeah, like I, they were so not, you know, for the idea of me getting pregnant at a young age. So I think there was a lot of fear in the fact that I knew from the get-go that they didn't want this to happen for me. And I knew as soon as I peed on the stick that I was having the baby. So it was a lot of tension and conflict there. But when I finally told them, I feel like like what we were talking about earlier, once you get it out and it becomes real, I think when it became real for them, they were obviously so supportive. So I feel really yeah. lucky that I had a supportive family and a supportive boyfriend. And you know, I was in a good place with supportive and fan- financially well-off parents who really were you know, generous enough to help me out and continue to help me out when I need it. So yeah, mental health aspect in getting pregnant and finding out I was pregnant, a lot of anxiety. But then, you know, nine months is a long time. So I, I kind of st- stabled out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you're sharing this journey on Instagram online as far as the birth and going through the pregnancy itself and then now raising Lennox. So what is that like? You're opening yourself up to judgment, whether that's what is received or not. What's that experience like? So this is probably not something that people would expect, but I think for me, I love putting myself out there and I love when other people put themselves out there and they're like, Hey, this is me. I don't care if you agree with me. I don't care if you disagree with me. I just am putting myself out there and you know, it is what it is. That's kind of the role that I assume. And honestly, 
for me, it's not really anxiety-inducing to do that. What's anxiety-inducing in today's day and age is trying to do it the right way and in within living in a politically correct environment in society. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I don't know how to say because I'm not I'm not a rude person. I swear, but I am a very honest and blunt person. So if I get hate, I'm going to call you out for it, or I'm going to nip it in the butt real quick. And I might not be nice about it. I might be very stern with it. And so for me, a little bit of the anxiety comes from my response to some people. Like if, if I do get hate and I post about that, or I reply to that, I get anxious about like, did I overstep my boundaries? Are people going to think that I'm rude? Are people going to think that I'm, you know, whatever. But if we take it into a real life situation, if somebody was rude to me to my face about my kid and what I decide to do, I'm going to stand up for myself, you know? So why wouldn't I do that on social media? I think, I think that's kind of where the politically correct, you know, society kind of gets, I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with it, but that also, you know, (laughs) doesn't make it easy to be an influencer and like share your, your Mm -hmm. journey. But honestly, I am such an open book because it makes me feel better. Like if I don't put myself out there, I kind of feel isolated. And I think it's because I love when people share their stories and their experiences because I relate more to that than like a doctor telling me like, this is normal. This is what should be, what should, you know, what you should be doing with your kid. Like, no, I would probably take, you know, an experience or an anecdotal experience from somebody else going through the similar thing as more reliable than what a doctor telling me who might not even have kids, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. why I do it and why it doesn't really, you know, cause that much stress or like worry or anxiety for me is because I really love seeing other people do it. And and that just kind of relation makes me feel so much more connected to just the greater world, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So I have two more things I want to touch on. The first one is your tips for someone who is trying to break into the blogging influencer world. What would you tell them? And getting like really specific as far as that kind of process. So I get this question a lot and I think that it's like the most number one question to bloggers or influencers in general. And it's a little bit of a hard question to answer just because everyone thinks the blogging world is so saturated and it is in some sense, you know, there's probably a million fashion bloggers, but Mm -hmm. what makes you stand out as a fashion blogger is your voice. And so I don't mean necessarily like the way that you curate your content or the way that you come up with content ideas in terms of topics. I mean, the way that you write, like can you read a blog post and hear someone's voice? If so, then that's probably going to get more reads than the person who, you know, is writing something, but it's not necessarily presenting a clear, strong, unique voice. So I would say for someone who wants to break into the blogging world, I would come up with, well, first I would write a list, a complete list, like a big list, just word vomit. doesn't have to be a number of, or a certain number, but just like a list of topics or interests or passions that you would want your blog to encompass. And then from there, I would niche down to three brand pillars. So for example, me, my brand pillars are womanhood, wellness, and self-growth. Those are the three main things that I want to focus on, but there are also other things within my blog, within my podcast that I do touch on as well. 
But I think if you narrow it down to three brand pillars, it makes it easy to come up with content. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do as a blogger is to constantly come up with content. But if you narrow it down to three things, then you can get really micro with it. So like if if I'm talking about wellness, I can talk about okay, so here are three taboo wellness trends that I've done, or here are three ways that you can practice self-care. You know, you break it down within those three brand pillars. Yeah. And then from there, you you find your voice and you make sure that your voice stays consistent and stays cohesive throughout your entire platform. So like your blog is consistent with your podcast, your podcast is consistent with YouTube and all of that. But from just a, a blog standpoint, you need all of your blog posts if they're going to be about different content, you need the actual voice to sound cohesive and sound the same because that's what's going to keep people coming back if they like your voice. Totally. What are your who are your favorite bloggers and kind of influencers that you're just obsessed with right now? Oh gosh. Well, the OG is this Lauren Everett's The Skinny Confidential. Love she her. is my favorite. She's what inspired me to start my own podcast, but she's mm-hmm. just so OG and she gets really micro, which is something that I feel like I struggle with because I am so jumbled sometimes in my head that things mm-hmm. tend to come out on paper as more like big picture general. She mm-hmm. gets so micro and sometimes I'm like, how did you even think about that? She's like, she'll yeah. do a blog post. I'm like, I'm using my my daughter's diaper rash for my pimple. And I'm like, I would never think to do a blog post about that, but it's awesome. Totally. So I love her. And then in terms of influencers I love shut the kale up she's like my favorite wellness blogger and then Mm -hmm. I think another person that I really love is Rachel's good eats she has a lot of good health and wellness content in terms of like recipes and things that you can you know learn how to do in the kitchen and fitness tips and then I also really love I just interviewed her on my podcast it's underscore Nicolette Marie and she's just really vocal about her past with an eating disorder and kind of breaking breaking past it and she does a lot of recipes and talks about food freedom and also has really insightful posts. Also, this is the last one, Samantha in person. <laughs> she used to be Samantha Easton, I think, but she recently got a divorce and she's like super open about it. And mm-hmm. she's just really inspiring and she writes really awesome and thoughtful, insightful captions. So I love those. I love it. Well, those are all of my questions I had for you. Thank you so much for joining me and just sitting down and diving into all things blogging and pregnancy and mental health. Yeah, thank you so much. It was so fun. 